All right, welcome everyone to this next session. My name's Kyle Norris. I am a uh, New Voices scholar and previously worked at Michigan Radio as a host and producer for eight years and am now heading to Seattle as an independent producer. So hello, thanks for coming. Um, here to introduce Phyllis Fletcher. She's the managing editor of the Northwest News Network, and she sometimes contributes to the American public media podcast known as Too Beautiful to Live. She's here to talk about uh, breaking news situations and how you can harness the power of sound to reel your listener in and tell an evocative story and uh, make, your, make your storytelling and sound pop. Please welcome Phyllis Fletcher. Thanks. I'm, I'm really excited to be here doing this. So thank you, Third Coast, for, for inviting me. And um, I'm, I'm, I, uh, I've gotten to go to a lot of talks, and I know that you have to make choices to go to talks, and they're tough choices. So I appreciate that you're here. We're the hardcore news nerds of this, of this conference, and, and we are mighty. So I'm excited about this. Um, so um, like we've talked about throughout the conference, um, Sometimes even with a planned news event, the real news can sneak up on you and present you new opportunities to report. And so I want to start by playing something that one of my reporters produced on Wednesday uh, for um, the uh, All Things Considered shift that day um, based on what happened Tuesday night. And so this, is, this was to fill a feature block in All Things Considered. My name is Selena Torres Medrano, and I am a student here at WSU Tri-Cities. I also work in the financial aid office. It's just hard. It's, it's impossible to move on and to not be upset about this. It's about putting down the minorities in this country. It's women and, and gays and undocumented people, Muslims, it is personal. It's people's, it's who they are. It's who we are. Uh, my friends who are teachers who um, have a lot of, a lot of Hispanic students are just, are, they're lost. They don't know what to tell their kids because they're showing up and they're, they're scared and the fear is just so overwhelming and um, they just, um, they're trying to reassure them, but they know that it's, it's bigger than them. My friends, two of my friends, uh, just got accepted into nursing school, and they're both undocumented, and I know that they're so, the unknown is just real for them. What's going to happen? Are they going to be able to finish their education? Um, when they finish their education, what's, what's after that? I'm very lucky to be documented, but it still pains me. And like I said, all those memories growing up and just being in constant fear, it's, it's, I feel it. I feel it with everybody. It's just this silent and mutual understanding, you know, that we're here for each other and that we're scared. All these families, um, they had to get up and go to work and send their kids off to a school that, you know, everywhere, I'm just saying everywhere, do, are, I know they're wondering, are my kids being accepted where they are right now? 
are they safe from prejudice and from stares and opinions and hate? But they have to. You know, that's us. As a people, we just, we were taught to just, you wake up and you go to work and you do, you give it your all and you come home and you take care of your family and you just do it all over again. I can't focus. And I think that's why it was so hard to show up to work because I'm, I'm expected to just to just shrug it off and be okay with it. Um, and um, the way that people say it, it just kind of sounds like your favorite sports team lost, you know. It's not okay to bring that to work, and it's it's not like that for me. It's reality. It's every memory of being uh, mistreated because of my skin. It's hard to just shake it off and uh, study for the quiz that I have today and uh, do my job. It's really hard. So um, that was produced by my reporter, Anna King, who uh, lives and works in an um, agricultural area of Washington State. And um, what we had, the, what we wrote up for a host intro was that um, uh, it referred to the fact that this um, young lady um, had grown up with a mother who was undocumented. And so, um, um, and she was, but this gal was born in, in rural Eastern Oregon. And, um, and like I was mentioning, you know, it's a reaction to a planned news event, but there were a lot of elements of what we were all doing Wednesday that I think resemble unplanned or breaking news events. And um, because this was such a current example, I wanted to play it for you guys because a lot of the things that Anna was doing to get that interview are the kinds of things that you do um, when you're interviewing anyone who's been traumatized by uh, something that just happened. Um, you know, she, she was able to... Um, uh, you know, interview her in a sensitive way and listen with specificity to know that she was getting a complete story. And um, what she, what we had decided that morning was she was like, I'm gonna go out and get reaction stuff um, because she lives in this town that has a lot of undocumented people and children of undocumented people. And, um, and she got this one interview that she was like, this is what I wanna do with my story today. And um, and I said, yeah, let's let's go for it, let's do it. And we got feedback from we run a service to stations in Washington and Oregon. And we got feedback from the news directors that they felt that it was really effective um, in telling that that story of the day. Um, here's another type of of breaking news story that you would hear in a newscast, and in fact, it was heard in a newscast on NPR. Um, uh, several years ago, and this is a reporter um, on the scene of a demonstration in Dakar uh, that is being um, shut down by law enforcement. The police have started throwing grenades, the riot police here at the Independence Square, where the opposition march was meant to take place. Right up the nose and in the throat. 
Everybody's scattered. Everybody's holding their mouths and noses. Our eyes are still smarting and watering from the tear gas, which engulfed the Place de l'Independence Independence Square in the heart of Dakar. The riot police started throwing tear gas into the air, lobbing them directly into where the opposition demonstrators had gathered and dispersed whoever had gathered here, including all the journalists. The opposition has not been allowed to hold its march. Gagging at Independence Square in Dakar. So she socks out, right? Ophelia Quistarkton gagging, and then she says where she is. And um, and um, I, I included this one. It's it's part of an article that I wrote for Transom. Uh, I wrote it, co-wrote it with Robert Smith, and um, uh, about breaking news and newscast spots in general. And um, and uh, he he included this one in the article, and I think it's obvious why. I mean, she's doing what we call, um, and I'll, I'll use some jargon, so if you're not familiar with the same jargon that I'm familiar with, please, uh, you know, raise your hand and let me know that. Um, uh, th a lot of times we call this a stand-up, which is a term that's taken from TV, where you're just standing there with your microphone and you're explaining what's going on around you. And um, I think that if you, if you do a stand-up and you sock in and sock out, so you're IDing yourself at the beginning and at the end, you say your name, where you are, and then when you sock out, you do it again with you know, with your, your outlet's name on the end, um, or if you're serving several outlets, um, whatever your standard sock out would be, um, and you just send that off to your editor, um, I, I think you can't go wrong doing that uh, when, whenever you're in that type of situation. And it, it takes focus, and it might require several retakes, and you might feel awkward because you're like, I'm standing here narrating this thing to nobody, but you know, thousands of people will hear it, you know, and you just have to, whatever your trick is when you're in the booth of, you know, think of that one person that you're explaining what's going on, you know, pretend that you're on the phone, um, actually be on the phone if that helps you, um, you know, so be on the phone and hold the microphone um, with your other hand, and, um, and you, you're just saying what's happening around you. You don't have to know everything. Um, you just stick to what you know. Like, you don't have to know why it's happening. Um, you don't have to, uh, and it, you might know that, but the newscaster can explain that. Um, you don't have to know things that you can't see or things that you can't hear, but if you just say what you can see, what you can hear, you're doing a huge service to a lot of people. Um, there was a, a producer, uh, he's a program director now, but there was a producer in this session yesterday um, who, uh, he, he had been a producer for NPR for years, uh, Jonathan Blakely, and he talked about, like, when you hear those kinds of stand-ups with um, Jason Bobian from Haiti, a lot of times, uh, Jonathan, or someone like Jonathan, a producer, was there with him, doing that service of holding the microphone um, and being the, the eye contact person and like, just tell me what you saw, just tell me what just happened, tell me what's happening right now. So not all of us get someone like a Jonathan, but you know, you can be your own Jonathan in that moment and, um, or envision him sitting across from you holding the mic for you. And um, it, it can get emotional was something that Jonathan shared too. And I think that um, you should embrace that if you find that happening. Um, your editor will, will help you with that if they need you to do a retake. Or you can send several takes in the same, in the same tape 
and uh, you'll have a partner. Um, the idea is that you have a partner helping you with that and facilitating what you're doing. Um, and I'm going to talk too about um, you know uh, requesting and proposing what you think you need to be successful. Um, if this if this would be a growth area for your editor, um, let's listen to another one. This is this is some this is a a way of um, narrating something that that happens um, in front of your eyes. So in the moment, you're just recording what actually went on. And then after the fact, you're, you're in the studio and you're producing something. It sounds like a very standard spot, but you're just narrating step by step something that happened. So this is something that happened in our state capitol building um, this year. This happened following a gun rights rally on the steps of the Washington State House. A dozen or so armed protesters gathered in the House Gallery. One man had his finger near the trigger of a loaded pistol. That's when State Patrol Lieutenant Mike Eggleston stepped in. That's a tactical carry of a weapon, and this is a place of, of government. Jason McMillan argued that he couldn't safely sling the pistol over his shoulder. No way to I'm not going to ask you again, then you're going to have to leave. As McMillan continued to argue, the lieutenant made it clear he was risking arrest. We don't want to arrest anybody, but we will. Finally, McMillan stuffed the large pistol into the inside pocket of his overcoat. McMillan says his intent was not to intimidate. I understand what they're getting at, but the simple fact of the matter is I've served 20 years in the military. I know how to handle my weapon. The earlier gun rally was to protest Washington's new voter-approved background check law. I'm Austin Jenkins in Olympia. So um, that's my state house reporter in Washington State, Austin Jenkins. And um, so that's a combination of a lot of things. He covers the Capitol every day. This demonstration was going on. Austin was um, now inside the chambers of the legislature um, to cover um, this other, you know, just the proceedings that were going on. And this demonstration came in with this guy, you know, everything you just heard. And, um, and he's able to give you, to, it, we had a little bit of, you know, the, this demonstration happened and then something else happened um, as like an intro. And then, you know, at the end, he reminds you this was part of a demonstration that, you know, uh, uh, that was against this new law. And, um, and it's 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 simple and it's very effective, and um, I'm proud to say also that it won a first at Prindy this year for uh, for large station spot uh, breaking news coverage. And when I think about why, what probably made that stand out, um, you know, not only when he was he there when a thing happened, but he very ex effectively explained what it was and and why it mattered. Um, and I think part of the reason that Austin is so good at this is he also is a former TV reporter. And so he's able to just, he, he, he's, he brings his TV experience also, I think, into like, this is a thing that happened, this why, this is why, and, and kind of alternating the, the scene with the narration, which TV reporters do a lot. Um, uh, yes. Oh, I think that, I think that we want a microphone on you. Oh, there it is. Okay. No, no, we, we do want the microphone. Yeah, thank you. I'm sorry to interrupt, but I just want to no, know how please. long that was. It was very succinct and it was... A minute. Yeah, we have... So our service um, serves, uh, serves stations that some of them have very strict um, uh, parameters for how long they want a spot to be. And they do want all of our spots to be a minute. Sometimes that's hard. You're making a lot of choices to boil something down into a minute. I think his TV experience also helps him do that. Um, so we're pretty much working with one minute, four minutes. That's almost everything that we do. Um, every now and then we can do a 
format breaker and go crazy. <laughs> but but the, the stations are all happiest when we can do something in one minute or four minutes. Um, so I'm glad you asked that. Um, another thing that I want to encourage you to do is um, talk to your editor about what stood out to you um, and, and make sure those things, and you know, have your editor support you to make sure those things stay in the piece. And um, here's an example of that from a landslide that we had in Washington State, a fatal landslide that killed uh, several dozen people. And, um, and this was a, a feature from several days after that event when they were in the um, recovery uh, phase of, of um, dealing with that. So this is a track at the end of a feature. It was strangely quiet when I first got out of our van. The highway dead ends at a wall of mud and debris. I could see lots of rescue rigs and yellow backhoes and little bobcat loaders staged there, but none of them were running. I soon realized why. A group of relatives was here. They'd come to see the place where one or more of their loved ones presumably took their last breaths. It was a very somber and powerful moment. Such pauses to give families access for remembrance and communion are happening sadly multiple times a day. I'm Tom Bonsey near Oso, Washington. So that's not something we always hear, you know, I saw this, it was sad. Um, I find that appropriate for this piece and this moment, and it reminds me of like the BBC reporter's notebook things. Um, I love those. And um, he had, this was, this is my colleague, my reporter, Tom Bonsey, um, and he did this piece uh, with uh, my predecessor as his editor. And um, I, so I had to ask him, how exactly, how did you do this? How did you land on you know, elements of this piece? What stood out to you? And he said, I remember I was trying to do stand-ups, um, which can be really hard, um, especially if you don't do them that much. But, so he was trying to you know, be there with his microphone and say, you know, I'm seeing this happen, I'm seeing that happen. Um, and his editor was giving him feedback, you know, it, it wasn't quite working this time, try it again, try it again, try it again. And he ultimately landed on this, so it's not a stand-up, but I think it's very effective. And I think that I really like that he shared that with me because I think that a lot of times, especially at these conferences, like we're showing off these awesome moments and what we don't hear about is the things that didn't work. And the things that don't work are just as much a part of the process of the things that are ultimately successful. And I feel like people have been really generous here about sharing some of those kinds of things, but it just doesn't always come out unless, unless you specifically ask about it. So I was really grateful that Tom shared that with me because um, it was part of his process to get to here. And it can be hard in the field when you get feedback from your editor that's like, um, that didn't quite work, it didn't quite work, try again, it didn't quite work, try again. But I think it's really important to be willing to try again and to visualize that as part of your success. Um, so, you know, I hope whatever you can do to internalize that right now and remember that moment when you get that feedback in a tough situation, especially when it can be very emotional to be in an area like this where you are seeing people, seeing what he was, he was seeing relatives of people watching these bulldozers shut down because their family members were possibly still in there and had died. And that's, you know, it can be hard when you're carrying something heavy like that for your editor in some desk somewhere to be like, so that was really great, um, but it didn't quite work. 
you know, that's why I love this title of Jorge's talk so much, that my competing talk right now of Jorge just saying, you're in really good shape, and you know that like it's the but, dot, dot, dot. And you can hear that in the field, and it can be really tough, especially when you're in a stressful situation. So to me, part of, part of how you can be your best in breaking news is being resilient about feedback and responding and being willing to try, 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 try. And your editor will stop you when there's diminishing returns. Um, so, um, so take that to heart as much as you can. Um, let's see here. Um, I want to talk about building on that, um, your editor as your partner. And, um, I want to talk about, um, ways that editors can support you that, um, might be new to you or might be new to your editor, but I think that you should try in a breaking news situation. And here's an example of that. Um, when my reporter Anna King was covering wildfires in Washington State last year, we had um, record-setting wildfires all over the central and eastern part of the state. And um, it's a new thing in the Northwest for them to be that bad. And unfortunately, um, scientists are telling us it's probably just gonna get worse. We got lucky this year, um, but um, they're telling us we can expect for this to happen again. So this is the breaking news um, portion of covering that. This is Anna King from the wildfires in Washington State. I was east of Walla Walla on Five Mile Road and I stopped at this big hill of wheat and I climbed up to the very top of it and up there I could see helicopters and planes flying back and forth over my head and I was uh, on this slick wheat. Uh, when wheat is harvested and the stubble's left, it's slick underfoot like soap. Dry wheat stubble is really like kindling on the land. It's basically, uh, you know, the straw that's standing on the land and it's just so bone dry and it burns really hot and really fast. And uh, I could see off in the distance plumes of smoke coming off of ridgelines. The state is taking over with an incident command team. One of the spokespeople is Sarah Foster. And uh, she says that this fire and, and this fire season is a lot worse than they even saw last year, which was a record year for fire in Washington. The conditions this year are exceptionally dry, and we've already had a lot of our fire personnel out. For me, this is my third dispatch of the year. Last year, she was only dispatched twice. And so we know that we've got people who are already starting to feel the fatigue, and we need people to do everything they can to, to keep sparks from starting. Foster says this fire was human-caused and is under investigation. In the Blue Mountains, I jumped on a tractor with a farmer named Greg Farrell, and he was offloading this barley to the combine that was harvesting the field. He told me that he was really worried about all of the people that are coming up to his farm area to gawk at the fire. So we were moving machinery, and once we got down here to the bottom of the road, it was an absolute zoo and it was a little it made you a little nerve-wracking because people were trying to pass you you know when there was no room and there was cars coming down the road the whole time so um oh my gosh this is rough he sped up and then slowed down trying to make the ride smoother so he could keep talking his other worry is that the fire will jump towards his farm so there's mill creek road and then there's mill creek if it crossed those two things then we would be in possible danger Firefighters Tuesday gave him the all clear to keep harvesting. 
The base of operations is set up at Walla Walla Community College. Returning firefighters were sprawled out on the grass trying to catch some Zs. I met crews coming out who had been working or uh, awake for more than 30 hours. New teams of firefighters were coming in to relieve these tired firefighters, like Ryan Chapman's crew from John Day, Oregon. Uh, we're a 20-man uh, handline crew, and so we do everything from mop-up, uh, initial attack. We uh, do back burns, zip when needed, and everything. They specialize in coming in and digging line by hand in tough terrain. It's a lot of hiking, a lot of digging, and uh, a lot of safety concerns involved, so... We're a pretty tight crew. We kind of you know, watch each other's back and everything like that. The crews coming out said the air support on the fire is really huge. Large planes and helicopters are dumping loads of retardant. Someone coming off the fire line showed me a video of that. Nice. You can hear the cameraman saying, nice. Oh, that is great. And oh, that is great. After the shift, men and women just came back looking beat. They were sunburned, soot smudged, and exhausted. And firefighters say it's hard to get a handle on this fire because it's hard to know where to dig lines in this steep terrain. I'm Anna King outside of Walla Walla, Washington. Yeah, I'm happy to answer a question about that. That sounded so unscripted to me. Um, was that scripted or was she just talking or what was the story with the tracking on that? So glad you set me up to answer this. I'm very excited to talk about this. Um, it was a mix. So some of it was very unscripted. I interviewed her over her cell phone. So I had her get out her kit and tell me when she was rolling. And I just asked her about different things that she had seen. And I knew part of what she had seen because she had been feeding me tape when, all day whenever she could get a cell signal. So some stuff she was recording on her phone, some stuff she was able to get to a place that had Wi-Fi and, um, and send through her laptop um, if she had recorded it on her kit. But she was feeding me this stuff all day. And so um, I started laying up tracks and I asked her about different people she had talked to, different things she had seen. And um, then when there were specific people or ideas that I needed her to introduce, I scripted those. And I, would, I had it in a Google Doc, or I would sometimes just ask her, just say, like, so-and-so. Or this, you know, last year she only went out twice, or whatever it was. So I would feed her certain lines of um, things that were in the tape. Um, and even, like, that video, she had texted me that video. And so I sucked the audio out of the video, put it in audition, and I knew that it was hard to understand what the guy said. So I said, and that I would be alternating, breaking up, you know, her, her back announcing what they were saying. And so I said, say, you know, sweet, and, oh, that's nice, you know. And, uh, and so she did that, and, um, and then I had her um, sock out. So it was a mix, it was different, techniques based on what, what would benefit the piece at that time. Sir. Hello. Hi. Uh, I'm at WBEZ and just listening to that, that sounds like the way we might approach a breaking news two-way. We yeah. would basically get the reporter in with a host either on a line or in studio and may, maybe play some tape. And I guess listening to the feature, I was kind of taken back too because I'm like, was there a two-way intro? Or, But then there was no question. So... 
I'm just curious, did you consider a two-way format, and why did you land on such an unscripted feature format? She did those, too. She did two ways on The Takeaway, on um, Warren Olney's show, um, To the Point. Um, she did two ways on Oregon Public Broadcasting, KNKX, and KUOW. We also serve stations that don't have hosts that regularly do that, and they needed something for their feature block. And so she can do both. She can go on live and, and um, we can feed them tape and, and host setups for that tape, and we did do that. Um, we also need to serve stations in this way. Um, we have a, a whole mix of stations we serve. So yeah, we did that too, yep. Um, yes, there's a lady right back there with a question. Um, this is a little bit nitpicky, but I'm wondering about tents because it sounded a lot like a feature, but then with her using the past tense, it was a little bit jarring to the convention that we're used to. So I'm wondering how you made the tense decision. Yeah, um, I don't remember making a conscious decision about that, um, so I'm not sure. Um, but you know, fair enough point. Um, I, I would like to um, point out, and this is not at all to, um, you know, to. Um, you know, uh, deflect any criticism, but um, this reporting was part of an entry that won a Gracie Award for crisis coverage and a Breaking News Award uh, Sigma Delta Chi medal from SPJ. Um, so, you know, it can always be better though, and I just don't remember making a conscious decision about that. But yeah, thanks for pointing that out. Yes? Just to be clear, did you produce that for her while she was in the field? Yes. So it aired like before she got home kind of thing? Yes. I mean, where you were doing like rolling coverage? She was still in the field when I produced this. And um, I, I even, I like the way that you asked that. Did I produce it for her? I think that it was my responsibility to produce it given the situation that she was in. And I was doing it for listeners, right? And again, it's not a, um, you know, two snaps up moment or anything like that. But I'm saying like, I think a lot of times um, we can uh, benefit service by breaking out of our normal roles. And I considered it my role, I can support this piece by being the one who does the, no, I'll drag this part of the file over here, you know, um, so that she could go out and keep getting news and not have to stop down and be like, Ch -ch -ch -ch. And did she give you like a continuity? Like this is what, I think the story is, or did she just keep feeding you stuff and you made those decisions as the editor? The latter. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yes, right over there. Thanks. Hello. Hi. Um, I, I'm a reporter with Inside Energy, and we have a reporter in North Dakota covering cool. the Dakota Access Pipeline protests. Yes. And the story kind of broke, like, on her first week. Yeah. Um, and it seems like this format could be a really cool way for her and our editor, who's in California, to work more effectively together um, and to break out of the mold of spots, you know, two spots a day and then a feature. Um, so I would love to pass this information along to them, and I'm just wondering if you've... if you. It, if this is a, a format you use often, and B, if you've detailed it anywhere. I'm just imagining explaining this to my editor and her kind of being like blah, 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 blah. Yeah, <laughs> I, uh, thank you for asking that. I don't think I've uh, written anything about it. Um, I think that this conference is the first time I'm talking about it 
Um, it's, uh, it's cool. I like it. <laughs> I find it effective. It's something I know I could do it at any time, but it would be at the expense of other things. And so part of what I would have to do, the more that I would do this, I would need, say, my staff, my other staff to give each other peer edits sure. know, um, well, on whatever I was, their work is. I was thinking, actually, that like the other reporters on the team could do a lot of what you were describing, the more technical stuff that maybe an editor w wouldn't have experienced doing. I, I'd be all for that. I knew I could do it, so I did do it. Um, and I also, I, my priority at, at that time was to have my reporters covering their normal things they needed to cover. I think that I probably could have reprioritized that. I think sometimes that would be a trickier decision though because a reporter might be like, well, what about my stuff? You know, like that kind of issue that, you raise, you know, even just with the, the wording of, you know, you did this for so-and-so. Someone might want to be like, well, what about me? When do I get to go to North Dakota? And that's a legit question. I mean, I've, um, so I've definitely thought how, that. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry, go ahead. No, no, I, I've, I've definitely had that thought. But I think okay. um, on a small team, like everyone's having to help anyway because there's so much going on and there's such terrible phone service and she's at a distance from her bureau and like we're all chipping in anyway and this seems like a much more effective streamlined way to actually get something on the air of value quickly. So anyway. That's I it. think it's awesome. Clearly. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think that, I think, yeah, the more that you can interchange roles and support each other, I think is awesome. I think there's a lot of talk about that at this conference too. And I think that a lot of that, and it's going to sound managey and corny or whatever, but it's teamwork. How is your team set up? Do you identify as a team? Are you invested in the success of the team? Cheesy, but... At moments like this, I think it really matters. It's, it's clutch. Um, and that's how I am. And I think that, um, that it, to, to infect a team with that sometimes is a different thing. Um, yeah. But I, I, do, I am confident that if I asked or assigned someone on my team to do this, they would do it. And they would do a really, really good job. Yeah, no, I never ask questions, but yeah. um, tell me if I'm getting out of order. We'll just edit this out when we put this online. Okay. But one of, the, one of the exciting reasons why we invited you and one, one of the many reasons why we invited you and we're excited about it is that, uh, that it, and maybe tell me if this, you get to this later, mm -hmm. um, is it also gives you an opportunity to put a lot more sound in oh, your yeah. work and that piece yep. was so driven by sound. Totally. So again, I don't know if you're way, if I'm getting ahead, but no, no, this is it's I I I am very much uh, flowing with the questions that are being asked, but I do like to point out the sounds that we heard in there and how she got those things. Um, you know, and you know, this was this was part of what was so exciting about this day. Um, was just, and what I love about my job is the amazing sounds that my reporters come in with and come back with. And so she knows Eastern Washington very, very well. And so when she saw that dry wheat, she knew A, that was a bad sign, and B, she knew it would make a sound if she walked on it. So she pointed her mic down and she walked on it. And then I asked her what it felt like to walk on that. Um, she, she's the kind of person, you know, she's a, she's a rural person herself from her upbringing as well. And so she's the kind of person who can talk her way into a tractor cab that a lot of people wouldn't be able to do. And, um, and so, you know, she, she rolled on it the whole time, whether the guy was talking or not. And then she was able to explain what he was doing and why when I asked her about what was going on when he was like, oh God, you know, um, um, struggling with changing the speed so that it wouldn't, you know, destabilize. Um, so a lot of it was her, you know, 
being aware of the, of the different types of things that make sound in that scenario or how to make them make sound and then, um, and then describe that sound. And same thing with, you know, when she got the video. I mean, that was just a cool thing. And, um, and uh, you know, it needed narration, but it was cool on its own. And, um, you know, her just being able to point her, her mic at, at different things. I have even another example of that that, that I think I would like to play. Um, yeah, sir. I wish every reporter had a, an editor that was as generous and as uh, collaborative as you and supportive. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. My, my editor uh, left our station a few months ago and we have a replacement who's coming in sometime soon, hopefully. Um, what, what advice do you have for reporters who don't have that editor who's like fully behind you and always coming up with new ideas and sometimes I feel like the reporters are the ones who, with the better ideas and the you know more forward thinking and um, and also editors who don't have a background in radio. A lot of our editors, I mean, like, we can't afford to attract the best talent sometimes, and all we can afford is, like, the editor who just got laid off from a newspaper. Aww. That's sorry, <laughs> That's depressing, but <laughs> true. <laughs> That's tough. Well, I, I always feel like the best way to learn things is when there's not pressure, right? And so... I feel like, and it, it always will vary from person to person, what they feel like their technical capabilities are or what they feel like um, they, they can do or what they think they were hired to do, which is something that you can't, as a reporter, really influence, right? But I feel like if you do it with a lower stakes situation where you just say, you know, hey, I want to send you a voice memo from this school board meeting, which I used to cover school board meetings, so... No diss on people who have to do that. <laughs> That's why I use that. I cover as an city council. Okay. <laughs> so it's like you know, I want to send you a voice memo and see if you, you know, since it's gonna go to eleven, would you mind trying to cut it into something for the newscaster for me so that I can work on my piece and um, just see if they'd be game for that or try it together when you're both in the office. Can I do this as a test, you know, and just say, you know, like I know it's it's always annoying to be like you know, the person who comes back from a conference and like, I sat in this really cool session where she talked about this thing, but I feel like that's part of why they sent you here, you know? And so, um, you know, try it, because um, a lot of this was, was um, voice memo tape. And, um, you know, so, because I've been doing this for a long time, I know how to convert that into something, you know, it comes in as an M4A or whatever, but most of our stations can't deal with that. Um, but, you know, I know how to convert it and then cut it down and, and, um, and, you know, just try it just as a test, you know, just like pick out one or two things that you think might be able to help you in a clinch situation. So, okay, maybe they can't mix a feature, but maybe they could get a voice memo onto the air uh, tonight rather than tomorrow, you know, that might be something they could do. Um, so I say just try, just try little steps like that and, and show them that you're learning too. Um, and, you know, ask and then ask for those things when you feel like you need it. Um, so that's, that's my idea. But yeah, I hear what you're saying. Um, um, yeah, so I know that Eve back there has... Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, I'm an editor who started out in print a long time ago. I've been in public radio for a really long time. And um, I think it's really hard for people who have been in print to rep, wrap their minds around how difficult the technical aspect of, you know, if you're a print reporter, you go out with a 
pad of paper and a pencil, and that's pretty much all you need, although these days, obviously, you need social media as well. So we've had a number of print editors who have come in, and they've tried, they've produced stories, because the elements that go into radio, beyond there's the recording, there's listening for sound, there's working for sound, and then there's the voicing of it, right? And those are, those are all skills that are gonna be unfamiliar to someone who's been in print. And so that would be my suggestion, is to say, hey, why don't, why don't you try doing a feature or tag along with me to see, you know, to see how we do it and learn. And um, I'm betting that most seasoned editors, especially if they're switching fields, would be willing to, willing to do that. Um, yeah, and this, this gal here. Thank you, Eve, for saying that. This is sort of a uh, two-fold question. How, I guess, how would you encourage reporters to kind of do that, uh, what you were describing, that voice memo of, you know, describing what's going on that's not scripted while they're working on a larger rap? Because um, we'll have reporters who do wraps for the following morning, but we don't have this like sound for a newscast. And then we're, then the newscast just sounds, you know, it's just the host reading or I'm, I'm pulling bites and um, there's not a much variation. And I was also wondering how you approach um, reporter host two ways in a breaking news situation. Yeah, it, and some of that depends on the, the reporter sometimes where they're at in their development or where they're physically, where they're geographically at. Um, uh, and uh, and there's a couple ways. Like some, some reporters, especially reporters who've done television for a long time, on a two-way, they, they don't need my support at all. Um, um, other reporters might um, benefit from and it also can depend on the show. You know, how involved is their producer going to be? You know, do they want the the reporter to come up with the questions, or do they want to be more spontaneous, or do they want to write questions in advance and check it out with the reporter? So, whatever that situation is, I try to support that situation. And so, um, you know, like if if uh, if somebody like if a national show wants to do a two-way with tape, um, if she's already fed me the raw tape, I might cut down the tape. Um, if they want to workshop questions in advance, I might make some suggestions based on what I know she knows. And then once there's an agreement there on those, um, I encourage the reporter to write bullet points, or I might start filling those in, and then we just do a, a FACO, a practice, fake out two-way, you know, when I pretend to be the host and ask the stuff. Um, and then some, sometimes I'll even listen to it live, and then if the host goes away from the plan, I have a Google Doc open with my reporter, and I can just quickly make a suggestion there if if they want to take it or not. Um, so it's I I try to give the support that they let me know they need or that I feel like they probably need. It just depends on the situation, um, but it's fun, and you know I roll on those two ways too for these award submissions. So. Remember that, you know, don't let those two ways just evaporate because um, they're, they're often valuable. Um, here's something, since uh, uh, Johanna asked the question about sound, I want to play this one specifically. Fires burning around Lake Chelan in north central Washington state are now at 123,000 acres. Correspondent Anna King brings us the sound of the front lines. Firefighters are, of course, using helicopters. 
They bumble like bees from the lake to the fire, carrying buckets of water. Firefighters are using chainsaws. After a few trees, they have to sharpen the teeth of the saw one at a time. They cut down burning trees they can't put out so they don't drop onto heads. And they're digging handline. That means clearing small strips of earth, of brush, and grass so the fire can't jump as easily down and up hills towards homes. Sweat, shovels, and garden hoses. Avoiding angry bees, snakes, and giant rolling boulders. This is what it takes to fight fires in the West. On the front lines of the First Creek Fire, I'm Anna King near Chelan, Washington. So, you know, she's illustrating through sound what these guys and gals are using to get this done. And I didn't know that before, that you sharpen chainsaw teeth one at a time. What? <laughs> like, that's really cool. You know, so on the one hand, you're like, well, the newsy element is in the, is in the, um, the newscaster read. Um, you know, of how many acres it is and where exactly it is and whatever. But then this is a specific, like, what does this sound like? And it's cool, you know? Like, um, your newscasters are going to be happy with that. They're going to be satisfied with something like that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, the microphone. Uh, Johanna, there's a gal in the second row here. Oh, here we go. All right. <laughs> Thank you. Cool. I think the last piece you played kind of gets at my big question about what the purpose is of sending out a reporter to cover breaking news. Yeah. Because I just had an experience where we had a shooting on election night in Southern California. Right. Um, that was not actually election related. And right. I was sent out. And what I ended up doing a lot of was reading off of my iPhone <laughs> information that my editor was sending me that yeah. the newscast producers had gathered. Right. And not gathering very much sound or tape on the ground yeah. because I wasn't in the command center to get the, the information from police. Yeah. And it felt like a huge waste of my time. Right. Um, and I was thinking, like, why am I here? Mm -hmm. You know, what is the purpose of me being here when so much of the actual information is coming over the phone from my newsroom? Yeah. So when you send out a reporter to cover breaking news, yeah. are you thinking of them as getting, like, the color and you have someone in the newsroom getting the information? Or how do you balance that? It depends on the situation because a lot of times she would have more accurate information on acreage than I would, but it would change. And we are not in control of when the newscasters of our stations air the story. And so, um, you know, for something like this, we'll give them, like, this is the version that we put up on the web or whatever. Um, so that was the fixed acreage at that point. But, um, you know, we'll write some of those kinds of things that are changing fast into a newscaster read and then the things that are, are more likely to either hold or still be relevant after that information has changed, that's the stuff that we're packaging up. And so um, she probably had the most accurate acreage uh, calculation at that point, but for people to update it throughout, we needed to give them a link, check this link before you go on the air, see if they've changed the acreage estimation. Um, a lot of times they are getting information from the scene, but I say when you're in the field and you're like, I'm not sure what my job is right now, that's a text to your editor. I'm not sure what my job is right now. You know, and I think you can do that and still be in a calm space and figure out that you're all trying to figure out what is, you know, what's the best thing for you to be doing at that moment. But, um, you know, when you aren't sure what your job is at that moment, that's a good time to check in with the person who's at the desk. And I would think that they would want to be using you effectively. 
So, um, but yeah, I think that probably we've all had those moments where we're thrown into a situation and we're like, what am I doing here? But sometimes then five minutes later, it becomes very clear, oh, I'm here because blah, blah, blah. So it just depends. I mean, maybe at that point, it would have been a good call to be like, you know what, it sounds like we don't need you there right now, especially since we're learning this is not election related, come back. But if you decide to not send someone, you can't get a time machine to then send them if you wish you had sent them. So it's, a, it's always a tough call. But, um, and I think that also public radio stations are, we have, um, there's been a long-term culture change from public radio station to journalism outlet. And we are still even in some, some phase of that change. And so a lot of times, um, there isn't a clear like go, no go decision maker type of person, or there's not a lot of confidence around making those type of decisions. And that's something where I think that it can be great to have someone who comes from newspapers, or it can be great to have someone who comes from commercial radio or TV, because they will, I think they have a really good way of saying go, and then not making it your fault or your responsibility if you go and then you're not sure why you were there. You know, And they're good at connecting afterwards of like, yeah, it was, I'm still really glad we sent you because blah, 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 you know? Or, oh yeah, I guess there's nothing to get right now as far as tape, can you take one more picture, you know? Because um, it's not your fault, you know? <laughs> so those are my, that's my stream of consciousness on that, so thanks for bringing that up. Um, yeah, gentleman back there, oh, okay. Hi. Hi, um, so I'm a public radio reporter in Missouri and our, <laughs> Our breaking news used to be like farms flooding. The past two years, it's shifted to Ferguson, to uh, racial protests on campus and, and whatnot. And we are stuck with trying to feed our own beast and all the national shows also calling us, trying to get us to file for them as well. So yeah. I'm curious, how do you keep filing stories, or how, one, how do you what do you prioritize? Yeah. And two, how do you keep filing stories that Maybe there's nothing updated, but you keep them fresh because people want to keep knowing what's going on. Yeah, right. And it's, I, I think, yeah, it's a thing that varies um, from, you know, throughout the situation and also during time. I mean, my primary responsibility is to serve the stations that pay for us. And then it does sometimes come up, hey, you know, so, you know, NPR wants a, wants a, piece or, um, you know, the takeaway wants, wants you. And, and I think that part of it is I have to be rotating people in and out. And it was tough last year because I was uh, down a person. Um, we had a vacancy for a while um, that now thankfully is filled. Um, but having, and Eve knows this because she was part of this system for a while, especially, uh, and this, I mean, it's, it could be beneficial to have something on this just year round, but having a calendar, we right now only have it specifically for the fire season, but just like, you know, these are the days that if there's a fire, you would be one of the people going, or you would be one of the people reporting from the office. Thankfully, this year, uh, we didn't have to use it, which is amazing, but we were prepared, and there was thought going into that in advance. And so I think that part of it is not making it all on one person as much as you possibly can. Because sometimes it's just even the psychological thing of like, even if the person is in the field for a long time, if they know there's an end point to it, they can start thinking of, okay, what kinds of things am I gonna hand off? What's gonna be the next person's job? So they don't feel like they have to do everything all themselves in that moment. I have another um, thing that I can play here. 
And we do still have 20 minutes, so um, this, is, this is great. I'm glad you guys are into this. And uh, I'm gonna play another example of this. Um, a question came up about it uh, yesterday that, that I'll, I'll bring up afterwards um, in, case, in case you guys have the same question. This is a similar technique, but in a story that, was, that happened in Seattle. And um, I brought the reporter into the studio to do what Anna and I did. Um, and we had had people literally running, um, running data cards back to us to get the tape back to the studio. And, um, and I started doing that process of laying up the cuts. And then I brought a reporter into the studio to voice this stuff using that same mix of interviewing her and also saying, okay, feed me back this line. It was a helicopter crash. I was able to speak with Daniel Gonzalez, who saw the crash and was able to help some of the victims there, or at least try to help. And also Dennis Hoganson from the National Transportation Safety Board. The helicopter had was on an earlier mission, had returned to this area to refuel. Shortly after they refueled, they departed. It sounded pretty heavy, like in the movies, like heavy, like in the Matrix, when the when the helicopter sounds pretty like slow motion, like that, and it was just like ding, ding, ding. The helicopter lifted off from the building and began to rotate counterclockwise and subsequently crash. And it hit the ground, and I saw it break apart, and it hit the red car, and as it hit the red car, the the car did a 90 degree angle, like it moved it. In the, it landed in between the red car and the gray truck. Daniel Gonzalez told me that he ran from underneath where he was smoking a cigarette. He ran to the scene to try to help uh, right after he saw the guy get out of the car and convinced one of the women to, to back her vehicle up because she, he thought that maybe it was going to catch on fire. It was uh, inconceivable that anyone could survive it. And indeed, two people in, inside the chopper did not. That's Corwin Hake from Como Radio. But I'll tell you, the dramatic moment for me, standing 15 away, feet away from the crash scene, was seeing a survivor emerge from that fiery explosion. The guy in the red car got out like two or three minutes later. It was, he was struggling really badly. The man in the red car is Richard Newman. He's in serious condition at Harborview Medical Center with burns over 20% of his body. He was bleeding from his head, and his, his shirt was on fire a little bit, and he collapsed. I couldn't believe anyone could survive that thing. That individual was able to get out of his car, and uh, a police officer uh, was able to put the fire out. Seattle Mayor Ed Murray offered his condolences to the families. I've met with the family of one of those who is deceased, as well as with many of their co-workers. As you can imagine, they are in a state of shock. And they are devastated. He realized he had known the TV photographer Bill Strothman when he walked into Fisher Plaza and saw Strothman's son and daughter. The other man who was killed in the crash was pilot Gary Fitzner. Murray thanked Seattle police and fire for their quick response and told reporters the investigation will be handled by the NTSB. Dennis Hoganson says the preliminary factual report will take about five days to finish. We're still interviewing witnesses. Our investigative team are, are looking into the mechanical uh, as well as the environment, as well as the pilot issues associated with this, this, this crash. The final investigation from the NTSB will take about a year. I'm Patricia Murphy, KUOW News. So it was a similar technique, and somebody asked yesterday, um, were you trying to give the impression that she was still in the field? And I said, no. Um, but two people had that impression. And uh, we weren't trying to do that. 
but I see, I see again a mix of someone going like, yeah, I thought that, and then other people going, no way. Um, and I think part of it could be, um, you know, you heard it in proximity to this other thing where the person very clearly was still in the field, but also something you're missing here is the host intro. So I, I don't um, have the script of that with me, but I think that the host intro makes it clear this is a recap of everything that happened during the day. And it's another thing that, um, you know, like the gentleman from WBEZ asked, like, could you do this in a two-way, too? Yeah, and I think we did. It's hard to remember now, but I think we did um, have her get on with the two-way. So, um, so, yeah, that was, and, and it's interesting. I was, Johanna asked me, um, you know, when I was telling her about Anna's stuff from the wildfire, she was like, how did you come up with that, or how did you start doing that? I think this piece was when I started doing that. And um, it was because of the logistics of what was going on with people running back with this tape. And I was like, something should be happening with this. Uh, I think I'm gonna do this. And, and it worked out. So I was happy that it, it led me to then try that again. Uh, oh yeah, uh, this gentleman right here. Hi. Hi, uh, I'm Benny, I'm in Eastern Kentucky. So that's also a kind of disaster-prone area yeah. as of the last few decades. Anyway, um, yeah. I'm wondering how, how you think about the amount of tape that you want to be gathered and if that's changed as you've kind of started, as you've started being the home team doing the production as it's going on. Yeah, it's, I think that's another thing I haven't made any conscious decision about, but maybe as I get more, um, you know, experienced in doing this, maybe I'll have some moment where I'm like, okay, I just need you to get me three scenes, you know? Um, but she seems to kind of have a rhythm of, you know, wanting to get a certain amount of stuff and then wanting to decamp from that for some sort of Wi-Fi send or cell signal, send it, come back. So, um, yeah, it, 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 I mostly have been responding to the rhythm of the person in the situation. Um, so, but I think that's a good question. You know, why not be goal oriented and have like kind of a checklist, get me these four things. You know, when you have those four things, split, give me the thing. And then, you know, or if they, um, if, if they want to deviate from that, they would need to tell you. That is a good way of setting expectations and making sure you have something when you think that you need it. So that could be really helpful. Good idea. Yeah. <laughs> Have you, sorry to just, have you felt like there have been times where you ended up with too much tape for getting it out as quickly as you wanted, or is it generally still like anything else where you're, it's better just not to miss what you could miss? Yeah, that's a good one. I, I mean, I've been, I've supported people in the field this way too, and it's neat when you're actually there because you can have more incremental conversations about those things. Um, but... I, yeah, I, I, I don't think I've ever thought, oh, you got too much tape or you took too long. But I think it's a good thing to think about because what if someone's counting on you to feel, fill that four minutes by such and such time? It's good to have those conversations as early as possible so that it's like, well, maybe we won't fill it with a piece, but we're going to fill it with a two-way. So I need you in your car by such and such time. You know, um, I think that's a good, good type of conversation to have. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, thanks. Um, this gentleman right here. 
Hi, Hi. Phyllis. I'm Steve. I work with the BBC. Um, hello. We love you guys. Um, <laughs> we like any- to help you guys out too. When I haven't we said can. anything yet, but thank you very much. <laughs> anyway, that last piece in particular I really enjoyed because um, there was towards the beginning uh, the guy who was describing what was going on, and he went ding, 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 and I really liked that. And that I wanted to ask about, particularly in a session about the sound of breaking news. Quite often. Um, you won't get the sound of breaking news because it's already broken, so you need to get people to make it. Uh, and I wanted to ask you about the the sort of when the rights and wrongs of that, you know, when it's appropriate and when it isn't. Because sometimes you do get very enthusiastic eyewitnesses or ear witnesses who will sort of go boom, and it, then it went, and sometimes <laughs> it can be a bit too much. So, yeah. do you talk to your reporters about that? Uh, you know, getting people to make these noises, and you know, when is it appropriate? When is it not? What are your thoughts about about that? I like them to do. Who has been fortunate enough to um, to um, have gotten to have the David Kando training? Anyone? David Kando training. So um, this this is a guy who um, specialized. You can read a lot about him. I, um, I'll put a link. I want to plug this the Slack channel for this. So if you're on Third Coast Slack, please join the Breaking News channel. I'll put in resources that I talked about. Um, um, I encourage you to look up David Kando, the late David Kando, unfortunately, and also um, John Sawatsky. Their focus is short, open-ended questions. And if you get a sound effects guy, if you get the guy who was in Police Academy or whatever, <laughs> like, that's great. Um, I th- because we mostly do the short, open-ended question thing, someone isn't probably going to give sound effects unless they're inclined to do that, unless that's something that they do. That's how they retell a story as they go. And then it was like, <laughs> you know? Um, and so because that's how we approach it, and we would just say something like, what happened? Then what happened? What did that sound like? Then what did you see? You know, we, uh, I think we haven't had that as a particular thing. But I think that, you know, using your judgment, it's okay to ask someone to reenact something. They'll, they'll let you know if they're not comfortable doing that. Um, I think that, uh, yeah, just use it judiciously, you know, use your judgment. And, and your editor can give you feedback. You always ask people, you know, you put a lot of pressure on people to perform. <laughs> can you back off on that a little bit? Can you ask short, open-ended questions? Because then if you feel like you're getting too much of that, giving that feedback can then put you more in a space where you're just getting a range of what people, how people describe things. Um, but yeah. when it works, it can make a really good piece. Yeah. You, know, you can really bring stuff to life. And I think I'm guilty of this. I quite often just forget to ask people to describe, even using the noise of what it sounds like. So, yeah, so yeah it's good. it was good to be reminded of that in that last clip that you played. Oh, thanks. Yeah, yeah, I like that. And then that's a thing where it's like, well, thank goodness we happened to get a guy who was like standing there, remembered the sound, and then was like, bing, 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 you know. And... Um, I mean, you know, as we all know, eyewitness accounts and, you know, ear witness accounts or whatever can be, they can have variance, but it can be good then to get a variety, you know? And then if you're like, I'm not sure, I feel like this person was acting a little bit. You can check out in the field and compare different people's descriptions, and if you're not comfortable with something, you don't have to use it. Um, So, and I think that becomes more important when it's something where someone's being accused of something. Um, This was an accident. You know, it's a really unfortunate accident. And so um, uh, I think those are all good things to think about, for sure. Um, uh, this gentleman here. So 
for those of us who cover government, state government, for example, um, not always wildfires and tear gas um, and armed protesters. Uh, do you have any examples or suggestions for the sort of committee hearing uh, breaking news? Right, right. I know, and that's. I mean, I think I think it's good, um, and I'm I'm glad you asked that. I mean, when we think about the sound of breaking news, part of what I think about is an element of that is it's unplanned, right? And but a committee hearing can turn into something unplanned. Um, you know, people um, cry. People laugh at each other, people get into fights. I mean, Seattle, I can say this, I was born and raised in Seattle. It can be very passive aggressive. <laughs> but I say, you know, be listening for those things that are not routine and those uncomfortable moments and put those in your in your work. And so, um, and I, I got someone upset with me once who was on the school board. Yes, I did cover the school board for years, as I said, <laughs> um, because there was an uncomfortable moment about an important policy decision they were making where someone was starting to speechify a little bit and another person on the school board laughed because he thought she was joking. And she was like, excuse me, don't laugh at me. And then she continued. And, um, and I included that moment and I wrote into the tape and I said, you know, then he laughed. And the guy who had laughed called me and was like, how dare you say that I laughed? I didn't laugh. And I was like, I have the tape, you laughed. And um, that's unfortunate, but it was important, I think, in the exchange between them about this disagreement they were having about this policy thing. So I think zoom in on those little moments of things that are unexpected and be confident in defending what happened. Um, and I think that a lot of that is you know, not reading into things, you know, all the things we already know, you know, just describe what you saw. So I can't say he was being defensive or passive aggressive, but I can say he laughed because he did. So um, those are the kinds of things when, when you have work that's very, very routine to be looking for those kinds of things. And sometimes they're subtle and sometimes they're really obvious, like someone carrying a gun into the state, <laughs> state house. So, um, yeah. Um, I, Oh, yes. Uh, yeah, this, this gal right back here could use the microphone. I'm just curious, in that last piece of audio you played, there was obviously the top, which was a little bit more casual conversation-wise, and then towards the end she sort of fell into script. Is there a lot of discussion about when and how to do that? That was my first time doing that, and I did it based on the tape that I had already laid up, and that there were people who needed to be introduced, and we needed to do it quickly, and so those were the things that I scripted. And so when I was in the phase of just describing what happened and what people were saying, that was me interviewing her. And then when it's like, when's the report coming out, blah, 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 that kind of stuff, that needed to be more scripted. And then when I had her sock out, I had her make eye contact with me. Because even her sock out was, um, there's kind of a normal way that people sock out that's kind of rushed. And this is another David Kando thing. He said, when you get to your sock out, you shouldn't still be reading something. You know who you are. You know who you work for? Be proud of that. You know, look away from the paper when you say that. And so I had her look at me and say, I'm Patricia Murphy, KUOW News. Because that's a really different thing than reading it off a piece of paper or doing it how you normally do it. But if you're looking at me, it's going to match the tone of what we were just talking about. Um, I have one last thing to play, just like... It doesn't always have to be so serious. Well, actually, before we, before we take it to Funtown, I'll take, a, I'll take a slight detour just to give a little example of the David Kando technique that we were talking about. 
so this is, um, this is the day after that landslide that happened in Washington State. Um, I, I helped cover that the first few days. I was an editor um, at the time, but I, was, I went out as a reporter and then a field producer during this week. And um, it happened on a Saturday, and most media didn't realize, and a lot of officials too, didn't realize how bad it really was until the next day. So the first day, it was like a lot of emergency responders and you know witnesses, and then the next day, that's when they started having press conferences, and that's when people realized, wow, a lot of people probably really died in this. And so this is an interview I did with an eyewitness after I had had an equipment failure, because I thought I was feeding the tape down a Comrex line down to my station, and I got on the phone, and I said, did you get that? And they said, did we get what? And I was like, oh, God. So I had to re-interview this gal, and I'll play just a couple minutes of that. Okay. Now we got this going on. All right. Can you spell Sierra Sandsaver again? S-I-E-R-R-A-S-A-N-S-A-V-E-R. Okay. And so how did you know something was wrong? Um, when we got up and there was flashers and um, the neighbor was out. She was, like, telling everybody, hey, hold on, you know. And we thought it was just a car accident at first. And then getting around the corner, because my boyfriend's dad was stopped in front of us. So we were like, why is he stopped? What's going on? And we get around the corner, and there's a house in the middle of the road. Yeah. It's heartbreaking. What did the house look like? It was torn to pieces. It was, there was belongings all over the road, and um, there was another, I think there was a shed also in front of, like in the middle of the road next to it, but you couldn't, honestly, you couldn't have told whether it was a house or just a whole bunch of debris. So then what did you do? Um, I... Honestly, I didn't know what it was because I had never seen a mudslide before, a landslide. So the first thing I did was take pictures, and I was like, what is this? And then I got down there, and the neighbor was like, I don't, I don't know how this happened. What is going on? And then everybody started showing up, and they started hearing a little kid screaming. And that's when everybody ran out there and they found a six-month-old baby. And I was inches from seeing everything. So then what happened? Um, they all packed up, hurried up towards um, Harborview, I think. And um, then they started, they started telling everybody, you know, we need to vacate, you need to get out of here, something is bad is going to happen in the next couple hours, you know, because that's all dammed up in the river. And my boyfriend's dad called us and was like, you know, the river's dry right where I am. You guys should probably get out of there right now. And so we stood there for a little bit, but there was a helicopter landed in the middle of the road, so we were stopped for like half hour, but it took us a while to get back home. What happened to the baby? Um, I think the baby is in critical condition right now, but as far as I know, the baby is still alive. Yeah, the baby was blue when I saw. 
Okay, I'm just gonna stop it right there when she says the baby was blue. I just wanna let you know the baby lived, the baby's okay. Um, and you can hear there a mix of stuff she knows and stuff she doesn't know. So then when we're making edi editing decisions, we focus on what she knows because what she saw. So as far as I know, the baby's still okay. That wouldn't go in. The baby was blue. That would go in. Um, and um, I, I shared this tape with our, uh, our competitors, which is um, now uh, known as KNKX. I was working for KUOW at the time. I was not running the regional service. Um, and I also shared it with NPR. And that's, um, you know, that was, that was a editor's decision to make, um, but I was fully in on that because I feel like when you're covering something like this, a lot of that stuff just has to go out the window. And um, there can be um, conversations about that that are tense and weird or whatever, but like um, when you're in the field, I feel like gen err on the side of generosity. And if you get a direct order from your editor to not share something or to share something, you have to go with that. Um, but you know, if you're starting to get the feeling just among your, your on the ground colleagues, like this is gonna work out better if I go over here and you go over there and let's try to convince our editors later, I think that's a good way to go. And it, it, it worked out. Um, and I was happy that they wanted to use my stuff and I was happy that I got to use their stuff. So we are at time, but I wanna play this one last thing, like I said, just to not leave it on negative town. Um, let's uh, get one last example of a, of a way to do um, breaking news. A mysterious milky white dirty rain has fallen across much of Eastern Washington and some of Oregon. People from Spokane, Washington to Fossil, Oregon are reporting that their cars and windows are coated with the stuff. Here's correspondent Anna King in the Tri-Cities. So I come out to my car to go to the post office. I get inside and I look through my windshield, only I can't look through my windshield because it's covered in crusty, milky white crud all over the windshield and all over my car. And so I start looking around for garbage trucks or street sweepers to see who splashed dirty, ugly water all over my car. And then I felt really silly when I got back to my desk and looked at Twitter because everyone across eastern Washington is experiencing the same thing. Correspondent Anna King. The National Weather Service has been getting calls all day about the dirty rain. A meteorologist with the Pendleton office is not willing to speculate yet about the cause. So that was kind of just one of those weird things where we're like, what is this? And it's like, I have this, um, this whole thing about knowing what's a story and what's not. And, and there's, um, there are some, uh, uh, um, some um, frequent guests on the Howard Stern show. Um, uh, any Howard Stern listeners? Any? He gave two of his guests a show. And, um, and one of them was a guy who was always saying, that's weird. That's weird how you always wear this. Or it's weird how you always say that. Or it's weird, it's weird, it's weird. And his co-host was trying to antagonize him and belittle him a little bit. But I thought he made a really good point when he said, you always say that things are weird. Nothing's ever weird. There's always an explanation. Stop saying that things are weird. And I was like, that's really cool. <laughs> and this was one of those things where it was, you know, when she looked at her car, it was like, that's weird. But then when she looked at Twitter, she was like, this is weird for a lot of people. And so, you know, it's another, and I, I'm, I'm glad that Johanna asked about, you know, sound of breaking news, what is that? Because it's like, yeah, we could have, um, we could have, there's like a spectrum, there's a continuum, you know? We could have gotten the sound of someone from the National Weather Service saying, we are looking into it, or we could have gotten someone else being like, 
what the heck is this on my car? Or we could have gotten the sound of the rain. The, the most immediate thing to do, the fastest, most efficient thing in this moment was for her to just explain how, what, what do we know about this so far and her to tell that story. So sometimes the sound of breaking news is a sound of stuff happening, um, sound of helicopters flying overhead and you know, knowing how to point your mic at those things is important. And I think that it's also important to, to recognize what is the best way I could tell this story right now. And sometimes the best way to tell the story right now is for you to just tell the story and that's legit too. So I am uh, slightly over my time, so I want to thank you so much for your patience and for coming to this. Thank you so much. <laughs>